the issue that we're still facing in the industry right now is we need skilled workers. We need people to join our industry that can go out there and fulfill the demand that's needed to make products. And we're still in an area where there's 700,000 like open jobs right now in US manufacturing. And it's going to get a lot worse, Keith. They're, they're saying right now by 2028 to 2030, we're going to have over 2 million open jobs in manufacturing. And a lot of that's just because manufacturing for a long time has been an older generation. It's been the Gen Xers and it's been the baby boomers. Well, they're going to be all retiring in the next five to 10 years. So now all of a sudden, this demographic that's been in the industry for the last 30, 40 years is leaving. Yet the younger millennials and Gen Zs aren't coming in to fulfill those shoes of where we're at. And one of the big issues we're doing is it's not just a one-to-one. -one, it's the fact that it's a person who's worked there for 30 years who has so much tribal knowledge of working on that manufacturing floor. You can't just have a one-to-one -one replacement with a kid coming out of high school or going to a technical school and immediately replace them. So manufacturers are saying, okay, how do we leverage technology to fulfill that skill gap to make us still competitive and productive when we see a shift in generations working in our industry. Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Hello, welcome to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 116. I am your host, Keith Williams. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is all about manufacturing, automation, and robotics. Why is this subject important? Well, in the past two years, we've all seen how hard it is to get things as simple as a camera to a car. So yes, manufacturing and supply chains are very important to all of us, and I think we've all realized that through the pandemic. So this is going to be a great episode. Today's guest has over 10 years experience working with manufacturers, system integrators, and distributors in the manufacturing and automation industry. His profession, interestingly, is a business development manager, which is sales. But he's built a powerful personal brand and created an audience of over 50,000 followers with over 50 million views on social media in less than two years. On a personal note, during Jake's free time, he is a huge Chicago Cubs fan. He enjoys smoking barbecue, fishing, and building Legos with his two daughters. Entering the stadium today is Jake Hall, the millennial, the manufacturing millennial. Please welcome Jake to the Skill Stadium podcast. Jake, how are you doing this morning? Oh man, Keith, I am doing absolutely wonderful. It's great to be here. Excellent. Jake, I got to ask you about Lego. I grew up playing with Lego in the 80s. Yep. It fascinates me that your daughters, like this is a, obviously a new generation, that Lego is still relevant. Because you think about what we said, I'm, I'm going to ask, did you grow up playing Lego? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How awesome is it? Has it changed a lot? Because my kids don't play with Lego, so I'm kind of curious. Well, I feel like I feel like it's got a lot more expensive. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, but 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 the great part about Lego is it's just it creates it allows for so much creativity where you can go out there, you can build the design and the system that they intentionally had you to do, but then you can tear it apart and be about and be creative. And I think, you know, that's why, you know, I know my daughters love doing it is because, you know, hey, we can get a set, but then we can take apart that set. And we can make it whatever they want it to be. And, you know, it, it really pushes this idea of being creative and imaginative and 
learning on how to build things and how things work together and that idea of, you know, taking that brain and then putting it to a physical, you know, product is is exciting. And that's why I still love Lego to this day. You know, behind me, I got a wall full of Lego still. Oh, cool, cool. I'll tell you, everything great we have in this world, somebody thought about it and somebody built it. So I'm excited to see in the future what your daughters will grow up when they grow up, what they'll create. <laughs> Might just change the world. So Jake, tell me about, you know, how did you embark on this journey to become an advocate for manufacturing? Because, you know, it's a short period of time that you've built such a strong audience and brand online. Why'd you decide to do it? Yeah. So, I mean, my whole background, you know, Keith has been in the manufacturing world. When I was in high school, I was involved in Science Olympiad and FIRST Robotics. In the summertime, I went to go work for a manufacturer when I was 16, you know, sweeping the floors, cleaning the, the manual mills, doing the welding and the dirty work of stuff. Went to college, got a few engineering degrees along the way, and then went to work for an automation robotics distributor. Really, the, the advocacy of really wanting to promote this industry more was back in 2019, 2020, I was at a conference, a manufacturing conference, and I looked across this room, and I was the only person under the age of 40 sitting in this room. And I'm saying, this is crazy. Why am I the only person here? And it really didn't click until that moment as I looked across this room of 400 people we are, there's a massive underrepresentation of younger generations entering the manufacturing industry. And then I started going out there and looking more and said, holy cow, we're going to, we have this massive labor gap right now where jobs aren't being fulfilled. We have a lack of diversity. Women in this industry is less than 20% of representation. And so it's, it's one of those things where I said, I want to do a couple things. One is I want to figure out how do we allow manufacturers to have a better understanding of the technology and the resources that are available to them to make them more productive. And then at the same time, how that can be used to remove this preconceiving notion that manufacturing is still this dark, dirty, dangerous, dull industry that our parents and our grandparents used to work at. And that's why it's not attractive to younger generations. So this all happened during really the pandemic of 2020 when we all got sent to work from home. And I said, you know, I'm going to connect with people on social media for, for, my, for my day job at the time. And then I just started sharing content and creating stuff and talking more about our industry. And it kind of just, it took off from there with zero intention of what it was going to become and, and where it is today. Yeah. I think it's a testimony to your passion to what you're doing, you know, and, and people must have sensed that. And people actually with the pandemic were probably online a little bit more paying attention. So almost like the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I mean, you saw a big shift then where now people are working from home, they're on their computer more, they're engaging on Teams more, they're on LinkedIn more. A lot of the other people are now because uh, people are going to their door, they have to go out and look for it. So you see a big spike in the industry, like looking at websites. And LinkedIn was a massive growth that we all saw across the industry where a lot more people began to engage on LinkedIn and other social media platforms around 2020. Yeah. I also think people were affected by the supply chain issues. So people are seeing it's harder to get things. So now they kind of understand the importance. And I don't know if you're seeing, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing this manufacturing is coming back, right? You know, when we were seeing a lot of manufacturing shut down, you know, not that long ago, and we've seen now a shift in it coming back because it's more economical and it's necessary to have some form of manufacturing stateside. Yeah. 
yeah, we are seeing a pretty large push when it comes to the reshoring of the manufacturing supply chain. There's a lot of, you know, discussions out there of, you know, new facilities and manufacturers building built up. You know, the chip shortage was probably something that everyone experienced at some level, and that's happening. But I think what we're really seeing now is automation as a whole is really democratizing on how small to medium-sized businesses, which represent a majority of manufacturers, can be competitive on a global level. Where before a 30 or 40 employee company had a hard time very, you know, being competitive in a global economy because a lot of it was manual labor. And manual labor was a lot of times much lower cost overseas than it was here locally. Well, now all of a sudden when the cost of labor has dramatically increased overseas the last uh, few years. The cost of shipping has dramatically increased over the last few years to come to ship product to the US. The lead times of getting that product that you purchased overseas that took that was more expensive to get here is taking even longer. So that's why we're seeing a lot of reshoring. And I think what's really allowing manufacturers to be more competitive in that area is automation. But the issue that we're still facing in the industry right now is we need skilled workers. We need people to join our industry that can go out there and, and fulfill the demand that's needed to make products. And we're still in an area where there's 700,000 like open jobs right now in U.S. manufacturing. And it's going to get a lot worse, Keith. They're, they're saying right now by 2028 to 2030, we're going to have over 2 million open jobs in manufacturing. And a lot of that's just because manufacturing for a long time has been an older generation. It's been the Gen Xers and it's been the baby boomers. Well, they're going to be all retiring in the next five to 10 years. So now all of a sudden this demographic that's been in the industry for the last 30, 40 years is leaving, yet the younger millennials and Gen Zs aren't coming in to fulfill those shoes of where we're at. And one of the big issues we're doing is it's not just a one-to-one, -one, it's the fact that it's a person who's worked there for 30 years who has so much tribal knowledge of working on that manufacturing floor, you can't just have a one-to-one -one replacement with a kid coming out of high school or going to a technical school and immediately replace them. So manufacturers are saying, okay, how do we leverage technology to fulfill that skill gap to make us still competitive and productive when we see a shift in generations working in our industry? So Jake, the million dollar question, how do we get more young people to uh, go into manufacturing? How do we close that gap? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what I would say, you know, Keith, is we need to be as a as an industry and a community more active locally with what's happening. And I think the biggest thing is manufacturers, majority manufacturers, 98.6% of manufacturers actually are small to medium sized businesses. Well, these small to medium sized businesses attract local talent. They're not pulling workers from state lines and across the country to come and work for them. They're getting people to work locally. And I think one thing that we're massively failing at is, one, the engagement in that local community. What are manufacturers doing to get engaged locally in the community colleges, the high schools, the skilled trades programs, but also the universities to say, how can we better invest in your program to make it so your program is more attractive to people to join you? You know, when I was in high school, I met with a guidance counselor and said, hey, Jake, you're going to be a, you're a junior right now. You're going to be a senior next year. What do you want to do when you grow up? And the options was, is, well, you should go get a four-year degree, and that's how you're going to be successful. Well, we're learning really quickly now that that might not be the best option for a lot of people at that current state in time, and especially right now, now that the fact is 
college, university, four-year degree enrollment is down for the third year in a row. And I think what we're finding out right now is you don't need to be successful. You don't have to have a four-year degree or a five-year going to school to get a to bachelor's or go get a master's degree to be successful. And especially in a lot of industries. Now, what I'm not saying is if you can be an engineer and you like math and science, don't become an engineer. Become an engineer. We need lots of engineers. But if you're not great at math and science, that doesn't mean you can't still be in the manufacturing industry or be successful because there's so many other avenues for you to grow in that are in high demand right now. You know, skilled trades is like another area that I'm, I'm a huge advocate on is because, listen, we need more welders. We need more plumbers. We need more electricians. And we're having all these even new segments of what I would say skilled trades are opening up. Like being a robot program, in my opinion, is a skilled trade. Because Can you, you talk don't about need that? Hold on. You're a robot programmer because I'm very interested in that. Can you just touch yeah, on that? Yeah. So in a, an industrial robot or a collaborative robot is used in manufacturing to do a lot of boring, repetitive tasks or dangerous tasks or high payload, high risk stuff. A lot of times when we look at the precedents 10, 15 years ago, you needed to be a mechanical engineer, an electrical engineer to pick up a teach pendant to then program that robot to do those tasks in a manufacturing facility. The technology has shifted in such a way over the last decade where it's so much easier to program. My daughter can literally program a robot and she's four. So what we're seeing now is as manufacturers shift more towards automation, they want to integrate solutions like robotics. However, the labor and the skills to do that are still in high demand where we still need people to program those robots to do those jobs because what we're finding out is no one wants to do work on the end of the line and pick up a 30-pound box and put it on a pallet eight hours a day. There's no enjoyment in doing that. They don't see a purpose. There's no excitement. Those jobs are hard to fulfill. So a manufacturer says, okay, so what do we need to do? We need to automate that. So we'll bring in a robot. But in order to do that, we need to hire a higher level, higher paid person to program that robot and to run that robot's line. So going back to the entire thing with the idea of skilled trades is being a robot programmer or being a CNC or a machinist who can go inside, open up a door and, and mill out metal parts and, and that making components. We need those skill sets in our industry. And the great part about it is you don't have to go to school to spend $25,000 a year and graduate with $40,000 in student debt to do that job. That's already very high paying that's already in high demand. And you know what? It's a job set that will never go away. And, and I think it's one of those things is like plumbers right now are some of the highest paid people, right? You want to call a plumber to come and work for your house. You're going to pay him at least 150 bucks just to come out and see you. 150 bucks for an hour. And, and people are out there right now saying, ah, it's hard to do this. It's hard to do that. It's hard to do that. Yeah, you might only get paid $17 working at McDonald's. But what if you went out there, became an apprentice or did a journeyman degree and you picked up one of these skills or became became certified or got a, a certificate in something and then went to go work for a manufacturer? You're going to do that. And then you're going to even find out if you go talk to a manufacturer, there's a lot of programs right now where they'll even pay you to go get that degree. You know, so it's one of those things is uh, going back to the whole entire thing, we need to engage locally in our, in our schools and manufacturers need to do a better job being more visible in their industry to show that, hey, there is a career beyond just a paycheck of an eight to five job in manufacturing. Yeah. I also think just to touch on it, think about professional baseball. 
they've got like a minor league system that feeds players to the pros. These companies have to see themselves that way. What's their pipeline look like? Who is their minor league team? Their minor league team could start in the elementary schools where they're talking to those students, planting those seeds, then goes up to the middle school. And then they're exposing an education. The biggest thing I think, the gap for me is exposure. The average kid doesn't know that there's manufacturing jobs that do what you do. If they're not watching, I'm just saying the average person, if they're not on LinkedIn and they're in high school, how many high school kids know about what you're doing? I mean, I'm sure because you have a strong presence, but I'm saying the average kid. It is it is so limited. So uh, earlier this week, yeah. Keith, I was in Chicago for the Packaging Expo. There was a thing for a youth outreach where they had like 25 inner city high schools from the Chicago region come into this event. And then we spoke in front of about four or 500 kids. Majority of the audience, I would say 80 to 90% never even saw what a robot was. So I had Boston Dynamics spot robot. You might have seen that on TV. It was like the Super Bowl commercials. It's a yellow robot that looks like a dog that does dancing and stuff. Well, it's actually a, a robot that's used for industrial applications. It's just a really good marketing tool for branding. But that robot could be used to do a bunch of dangerous, boring, repetitive tasks. Seeing that robot walk up on stage immediately stopped all those kids who were talking at the tables to themselves they all stopped during the presentation and actually looked at the stage and they said, holy cow, that's really cool. Like, like That's what you would see in movies. But the thing is, though, unless we as an industry are proactive to actually get that in front of younger students yes. and, and young adults, they'll never know what that actually is. I agree 100%. And that's our fault. That and like the biggest thing is, you know, I can go on a whole other spiel if we wanted to, but like the biggest thing is is older generations say that millennials and Gen Zs, who are the 40 to 22 and the 22 and under generation groups, mm-hmm. they say that they're this, this entitled generation. But every generation says it about the younger generation. Yeah, every older yeah, generation. But, 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 but the one thing I want to point out here yeah. is that younger generations aren't entitled, they're just aware of their opportunities. Yes, they are. Yeah. At one point in time, manufacturing was one of the highest paid dollarly per hour industries that were out there. And you would go and you would do an eight to five. And, you know, you could provide, you could buy a house working in manufacturing at an entry level job 25 years ago. That is not the case today. You know, a starter home back then was $100,000. A starter home where I live now, you're not paying under 300. It's completely changed the way we look at things. But my point of the matter is, A high school kid can graduate high school, go work for Uber Eats, drive 40 hours a week, getting paid $20, $22 an hour with tips, and he could choose whenever, or he or she can choose whenever they want to work. So why would they say, I'm going to go work for a manufacturer who has me come in at 6 a.m. so I can't hang out with my friends at night? Why would I go work for that company when I can just do my own thing, going work for Uber Eats or Grubhub? And the biggest thing that we need to understand is there's so many more in new industries and opportunities for kids, for, for young adults these days than there was 15, 20 years ago. And, but the, the, the challenge and the thing that we need to address is being an Uber driver or being a Grubhub driver is not going to set you up in life to grow and succeed, to move on to that next step in that area. 
However, going to work for a manufacturer gives you the opportunity to grow within a company, to be promoted within a company, and to succeed within a company in a way where your paycheck and your increase is going to grow over time and your demand is going to grow over time within the industry. And the thing about that is you don't see a lot of other industries that can go from an entry-level job and succeed up within a company to a management or a director or executive role by just putting in the experience and the time like you that you can in manufacturing. And I think that's just the biggest thing is we need to do a better job showing that we want to invest in you as an individual to grow your purpose and to grow your career. But then the other thing is what we need to do in manufacturing is we need to reach an audience and a demographic that we haven't done for a long time. That's true. One other thing I just wanted to mention, I also feel like companies need to be a little bit more flexible because you mentioned they don't like getting up at six in the morning. That really stood out. Could in this industry, could like, is it possible for manufacturers to say, hey, you know what, we're going to give you some flex hours as long as the work gets done? Is that an option? Yeah. And that's, and that's actually, that's what I was going to say. So like, so white males represent a majority of the manufacturing industry, but what are we doing to attract a different demographic? What are we doing to attract women? What are we doing to attract people of color? What are we doing to attract stay up moms who have to drop their kid off by 8am and have to pick up their kid by 3pm? What are we doing to create a working mom job within our industry? So I was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa a few weeks ago, and there was, this, there was this manufacturer out there that does some really cool stuff. One, they have a second chance program that, that works with people who, who've been in Carnation to train them, to give them the skills that they need. So when they graduate, you know what? It's like a 92% thing where if you graduate with a skill and you graduate with the job, the likelihood of you going back to, to do that is like, it's gone. It's just gone. You know, but on top of that as well, they have a daycare now at their manufacturer. So you know what? They set it up so where they can take their kids to work. They are there during that time. They are a bus pickup spot. So then a bus will actually go to that manufacturer, pick up all the students, bring them to school. They go to school. And you know what? Then the bus will pick them up and they'll bring them back to work. So then the parents then, at the, when they're done with their job, they just walk down the building, pick up their kids, and they take them home. How is and that they also company have doing? This, Let me ask you something. I got to believe that's extraordinary. How is their that company doing? Their retention rate increased by like 90% when they integrated those programs. They have a summer daycare set up at their facility. And it's just, it's just one of those things is they're a larger company. They're 500 employees, 600 employees. But what's stopping the manufacturers from getting to work together in an area to create that opportunity? And I think it's just one of those things is there's so many different areas. And I could tell you, there's plenty of manufacturers here in West Michigan that don't do a good enough job who I know are big enough, who I know have enough resources to make that happen, but they're not. You know, And, and that's just the biggest thing is, man, if, if we were to increase women in our industry by like 10%, we would fulfill hundreds of thousands of jobs. But the issue is with manufacturing is when the majority of leadership positions within a company are older white men, and I can say this because I've been to those conferences, I've been to those areas, how do you expect a workforce to be diversified when the leadership of a company That's is true. not diversified? Yes. I agree. And that's it's just and that's just the biggest thing where to the older generation, and this is when I go out and I'm doing all these presentations and, and speaking and stuff like that, to an older generation, they don't see that. It's not like they're, they're trying to be intentionally to not create that. It's just they're not being um, self-aware. 
They're not aware of it. Self-aware and to the point of, you know what? You need to make sure that what you are doing is creating diversity within your board because you will never have a workforce that is diverse unless that happens. Because you know what? You can, and that's the thing for me, me as a white person, I will never be able to understand or communicate the same way or have the engagement the same way as someone else. So like when I was at the packaging expo this week, I had Megan Zimba, who's a woman in manufacturing. I said, can you join me on stage? Because I know probably 50% of the audience is not going to be met. But I want you to be up there with me so you can talk to people differently than I can. Yes. And I I think that's just the thing that we're seeing. And that's why advocating manufacturing is so important because I can't be the solution that's going to connect with everyone out there. But there's this guy called Andrew Crow who grew up in inner city St. Louis, who had two federal offenses, who graduated. And now he has a program called the Manufacturing Renaissance, where he worked with inner city kids in the St. Louis area to say, hey, here's a job for you that can get you off the streets and make you successful. Yeah. Also, I think their lives too. You know, absolutely. And I think it's just one of those things is there's not one thing going back to your original question, Keith, that's going to solve this problem. However, if each company took their own initiative and took one thing to make it better and imagine if you had every single manufacturer do one thing to do a better job with engagement of different demographics and younger people. I think that would significantly solve the problem that we're facing in manufacturing with one of the largest ones being a lack of people entering our industry. Yeah. And also, I think it gets to the point where it has to be almost crisis mode for them to change. You know, Oh, we're already there. Sure. Yeah. We're already there. We're, we're already well, in crisis. We're not mode. aware of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in crisis mode and we're going to get, it's going to be really bad in the next five to 10 years. It's just, and the sooner that we can do, and there's a lot of great programs out there. And it's not, it's not saying that we're not doing anything because we are doing things because when you see organizations like PMMI who put on PAC Expo, making that PAC challenge to have 500 high school students to come into the industry, to see what's happening, to walk the floor, to see how all this equipment that makes the products that they use every day, yes, that inspires them because they would have probably never seen it otherwise. No, I, um, I agree. With that. That's great. That just happened in Chicago. How many other cities are in, you know, you know, the US that we could be doing that we're not right now? And I think that's just the thing that we got to figure. Yeah, I do feel strongly when you talk about these smaller companies, because the, the majority of the workforce in America is small companies. It's a small percentage of people who work for like the Microsofts and Googles. And yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here, 98.6% of manufacturers are small to medium sized businesses, which qualify under 500 employees. If you look at small businesses, which is under 50 employees, it's like 78% of manufacturers. Now, granted, the productivity and the output is is shifted between the, the the giants and the small people. But let's not forget that a majority of US people employed in the manufacturing industry are small businesses who, in my opinion, can a lot of times create a bigger impact in their local community than the giant behemoths. Yeah. And they also should be, you know, if you're you're a small business, you should be more conscious of what's going on in your community. You're also affected greatly by it because you think about where you're getting your staff and your people. And the challenges they have become your challenges. You know, I remember I was, I was doing a pre-podcast interview with a gentleman who I was going to have on my podcast and decided not to because 
he was putting his employees down and it was something silly as they couldn't get to work. And I remember asking him and he was in a small town. I said, uh, is it a question of transfer? He's like, yeah, their car's always broken down. I'm like, my head, I'm like, you can't figure a solution for that. You know, like somebody can't get to oh. work in a rural area. And that's the problem with some small companies. The company that I talked to about yeah. the one in Cedar Rapids who gave that, they also have busing. Nice. Nice. $5 a week. Wow. That $5 a week, that's it? Yeah. It's like it's almost cheaper <laughs> even wow. if you have a car. <laughs> it's cheaper than having a car. Like I'd be yeah. I'd take the bus. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just one of those things though. It's and it's it's just that's just the state we're in. Yeah, you didn't need to do that 20 years ago, but here we go. 20 years ago, you were competing against a company called Amazon who was employing millions of people across the US who, by the way, in my area, give flexible hours where you can log on an app and say when you want to work. Wow. Wow. It's welcome to what we are now in 2022. And it's not going away. Yeah. And you have the gig economy. Like you said, a lot of people work on Fiverr. They, you know, if you have a skilled trade, you can fix cars, you can do plumbing independently because everybody knows somebody in their community who needs plumbing or needs their car fixed. So that's another advantage of working in the skilled trades. But yeah, I do think the smaller companies that can be creative and just make it easy for their employees. If you make it easy and you remove the barriers, you're going to attract more people and you're going to attract better quality people. And at the end of the day, it doesn't cost you anything to treat people right. So that's another thing. You got to treat people right. Like, I mean, that's, that's something you have complete control over. And I never understand employers that can't do that. That's a very- Creating a, creating a culture yes. that is actually attractive to your employees is not that difficult. No. You just got to be intentional. Yes. Yes. No, I agree with you hundred percent. So what's, you know, let's say what's the play for a young person who is not going to college yet wants a career in manufacturing? What does the roadmap look like for that individual? Because I always want to, you know, we're talking about this. What do they have to do? I mean, so without going to a four-year degree, I would say community colleges are a phenomenal place to start local tech centers and local skilled trades programs. Like those are all areas that are very low cost investment to make happen, but you can significantly grow with that, kind of like what we talked about earlier. The other one is so many manufacturers out there in demand right now, there is no reason why when you go to that manufacturer, you should be interviewing them <laughs> to the point of, you know, it's not them interviewing you anymore. It's they know they need you and they're willing to hire you as long as you could show up to work and you have two hands. You know, even if you have one hand, they'll probably still hire you. But um, you know, it's one of those things where you need to go out there and be acting. So, what do you have that is a further skill development within my comp within there? And you should be asking for that. And if they say they don't have anything, honestly, they say, "Oh, that's unfortunate." There's a couple of other companies that I know that do. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. and and it's just one of those things is. My suggestion to young people is go work for a manufacturer, make sure they have a program developed within their area that's going to allow them to grow and succeed. And honestly, even if they don't, there is nothing stopping you with the access for information to be learning a skill on your own, where a lot of times you can even go online for free yes. and learn how to do a lot of stuff. I know so many programmers who don't even go to college now who are making very strong six figures because they learned how to program through free resources on YouTube. That's how it is now. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, employers want people who, who could do the work, who can execute. 
So they're not focused so much on, because you can have a degree and have the education, but then not know how to apply that in the actual work environment. And then you're, you're dead in the water. Whereas somebody who doesn't have the degree is, knows how to do it. <laughs> yeah. by, so where I work, some of our best controls engineers never went to college. I believe it. They just, they learn how to do it. It also shows a passion because first of all, it shows that you're self-reliant. If you can learn, you're going to do well in anything you do because there's so many different things that are happening in the industry. You're probably more up on what's going on in the industry, probably better at solving problems if you're able to go and learn these things on your own. So it, it, it does make you more valuable because you have, you've gone out and learned the relevant skills. Now the next thing to do is you just execute on it. And you got to be motivated. And you have to be motivated. Listen, it's it's one of those things where manufacturing is not a hand-me industry. Like, I think people need to realize that too. But if you put in the work in manufacturing and you invest in yourself, you don't necessarily need to invest in the company. You need to do the work at the company. But if you take that to invest beyond yourself to grow your own skills, you can succeed. Yeah. I also think that as you go into manufacturing, there are probably a number of different jobs that you're going to learn. You're going to learn a career path. I would almost encourage people to not be afraid to cold call companies if you're in high school or reach out to people who are in the industry. Because I think people are more willing to help someone who's in high school than somebody who's like 30 years old. Not to knock somebody who's 30 years old, but we have a little bit more sympathy with somebody who's who's younger because we know they don't know anything at this point. And it doesn't happen often where how many times does a high school kid reach out to you personally and say, hey, I need help with something? It doesn't happen. So the few times it does, you're probably more willing to help them. And so I would encourage them to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's there, there's there's just so much opportunity for people to grow, and don't be afraid to ask. I think because I think a lot of people are saying if you're willing to learn, people are willing to help you. I agree. I agree. I mean, I've interviewed countless of people on my podcast, business owners, hiring managers, people who are more seasoned. And that's the one thing they always say. They say, hey, we'll help anybody who's willing to learn. And I've never had anybody shy away from that. I've, I, it's one of the things I've I always, it's a, it's a constant theme that I hear right across this country, from people I'm interviewing in all different industries in the skill trades. That's a very common response that I hear. So I, I believe them. I take people at their word. And so I, I wouldn't, like I said, if for young people listening, I would encourage you to reach out and just say, hey, I'm interested. I'd like to learn more. And there's a lot of information out there. Are there any resources on manufacturing that you could share for young people who want to learn about manufacturing? YouTube. I mean, it's, it's just it's just one of those things. There, there's just so much. And I, honestly, it's a platform that they can do. Or, hey, if your kid wants to learn more about manufacturing, they probably have a TikTok account. Have them go on to TikTok and have them search hashtag manufacturing. And you're going to have a bunch of stuff pop up, probably even some of my videos and content, you know, because I'm on TikTok because I share cool stuff that I see happening in our industry because I know the youth, that's the platform that they're using right now. In fact, when you look at it, there's more searches happening on TikTok than there is on Google for Gen, for, for Gen Zers. I'll tell you, I, I'm on TikTok too. And I do a lot of that when I'm looking for people to network with or connect with or to learn more about the content. I didn't work, I didn't grow up working in the skill trade. So it's a ongoing learning process for me too. And, you know, I get a lot of information from TikTok and YouTube. So I, I believe you, it, you are correct on that. You get more recent information. You get more stories I find on TikTok. Like people are saying, hey, I, I had this challenge. Here's how I fixed it. And that's really a good way to learn. And I, again, I, I would say people on TikTok, 
are open to connecting. So, you know, it's all, it all depends on your approach. If you approach people, you know, in a respective manner with a very specific question, Hey, I'm interested in learning this, or I want to learn about that. Here's why I think most people will respond positively. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Jake, could you tell us, you know, if you had an opportunity to talk with your older self today in 2032, this is a thoughtful question. What would you ask yourself? What would you want to know that you think could help you? Who are the World Series and NFL champions <laughs> for the next, uh, for the next 10 years? <laughs> is, is Brady still playing? <laughs> oh, you could be um, a very wealthy man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, in all seriousness, I would like to know what technology should we have adopted earlier on to make us more productive? What were things that we were missing? That would be where I would start. Very smart. Very smart. So final question, what does success look like for you, Jake? Oh, man. Success looks like to me having a wife and kids at home that I can come home to every day and be with and love and see them grow up to be happy. That's my definition of success. I love it. Amen. Great, great, great response. Jacob, thank you so much for being a guest on the uh, podcast. Please share how people can find you. Yeah, and best way, uh, if you just search Jake Hall on LinkedIn, I'm probably going to be one of the first people that pop up. Or if you were just uh, going to Google and type the manufacturing millennial, uh, you're going to find me on all platforms, including my website. Jake, thanks again. I wish you continued success and a wonderful day today. Thanks for having me on, Keith. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.